0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon.
1: Today's reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 16, verses 1 through 18. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them, whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on those days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. When Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked towards the wilderness, and the glory of God appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quails came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? for they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs, an omer to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some less but when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God.
1: Let's take a moment for silent reflection.
0: Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we come to this moment, we approach these words, this experience from a variety of different backgrounds, temperaments, personalities, experiences, ethnicities, cultural backgrounds. We approach this moment in our lives with different perspectives, optimistic for the future, hopeful for the future, fearful exhausted, anxious, angry, addicted, connected. We approach faith from a perspective of being believing and unbelieving, most of us somewhere in between, depending on the day or the moment. But help us to see right now, with all of our diversity and complexity, we have far more in common than we realize that you see us, you know us, and your response to the beauty and brokenness of our lives is not to say yuck or to run away, but your response is to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love in the person and work of your son Jesus Christ. So whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, open our eyes to your grace, wake us up to your loving presence and send us out to be your very hands and feet of renewal wherever we go. We invite you to teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit in a way that our lives would be transformed and this world would be renewed. We pray these things for our good and your glory, amen. Please be seated. On the first Saturday of every month when we have our Know Your Neighbor gatherings, if you have the opportunity to go to one, it's a meaningful experience. Because you're connecting with people you otherwise not, might not connect with. There's great music, there's good food. You're doing something great for your community, you're serving. If you go once, it's meaningful. If you can go regularly, you begin to develop relationships that turn into friendships as we get to hear each other's stories. And one of these stories that became a friendship to me is a man named Ron. Ron's been coming to know your neighbor pretty much every Saturday for years, unless he's sick, can't make it. I've seen Ron throughout the weeks, and we've gotten close together and just gone block to block handing out good clothes to people. He only collects good clothes to hand out. He's not a friend who's going to give you a bad sweater. He's going to give you a nice sweater, right? And and I call him the mayor of 30th Street. Don't worry, John Rowland, you are still the mayor of 29th Street, which is our block. And so over time, Ron goes, he begins to share his story and he says, hey Matt, you know, before all of this difficulty that's currently taking place in my life, I actually was pretty successful and I was actually a part of a band that got to be pretty well known. We we toured the United States and I was one of the lead singers of the band and he's telling me these stories and then he says, the band is actually doing a reunion night at Humphreys on the bay in two months on Friday. And I just put it in my calendar. Sure, great, love to see you. When someone tells you a story like that there's a degree of I th- I, think I, think, I think this is real, it might not be, I don't know. So at 9 o'clock p.m. last Friday my alarm dings as a reminder that he's singing right now at Humphreys. And so I went just finished snuggling Joshua to sleep and I went and got Florence and said let's go out and have a drink and listen to Ron singing. I said it's a 50-50 chance that this is even taking place but let's go see. You could hear the music from the parking lot. And then we get into Humphreys, and there is Ron, who I've walked up and down the street distributing clothing with, who I've sat at the tables right here getting to know our story, and there is Ron in a suit with all of these other well-dressed men. The band is called The Return of Funk, and they are moving. I mean, they have, they have moves beyond moves. He's rocking the entire room, a new side of him right there. And I said to Florence, that's a man who's going to go home after that. That's a man singing in a borrowed suit who's going to go home to a single room occupancy downtown. But for right now, he's on top of the world. Manna in the wilderness. But then it unfolds even further because I ran into Stephen and Christina from our church who were there dancing because they knew another member of the band. And Christina, who is a teacher at an under-resourced school in our city, said, we are so thankful for nights like this where we could just dance the night away because that is like manna in the wilderness of pouring herself out for all of her students. When you go through the desert of your life, so first all, that was just joy. That, that story doesn't even have a ton to do with the sermon, so now I'm going to try to make it fit in with the sermon. I just want you to know that what we see here on Sunday and throughout the week, that's the tip of the iceberg, and then there's the organic joy that goes out from here. But it is a manna in the wilderness experience. See, the Israelites, we saw last week, the context is the Israelites had been oppressed for 400 years. God said, I see you, I know you, and I will set you free. So God says to Moses, go to Pharaoh, the most powerful person on the planet, and say, let my people go. And through a great showdown, the God of liberation against the God of oppression, and you see God liberate God's people into freedom from slavery. But now, they're out of slavery, they're in the wilderness, and the people begin to grumble. They're complaining. See, you can get the people out of slavery in Egypt in one night, but evidently it takes 40 years to get the patterns of slavery out of the people. I mean, think about your life and mine. God can rescue you. God can save you. God can break into your life in one moment. Grace is instantaneous. There is no layaway period for it. There's no vesting period for it. The grace is immediate. And then it takes a lifetime to live into it and to receive it. Bono, the lead singer of U2, once said in an interview, he said, Your nature is a hard thing to change. It takes time. He said, I've heard of people who have life-changing, miraculous turnarounds, people set free from addiction after a single prayer, relationships saved where both parties let go and let God. But it was not like that for me. For all that, I was lost and now I'm found, it's probably more accurate to say, I was really lost. I'm a little less so at the moment. And then a little less and a little less again. That, to me, is the spiritual life. The slow reworking and rebooting the computer at regular intervals, reading the small print of the service manual, it has slowly rebuilt me in a better image. It has taken years, though, and it's not over yet. So God takes you on this journey through the wilderness for your own good. In fact, later, Moses will reflect on this in Deuteronomy 8. When he says, remember the way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you'd keep his commandments. He humbled you by letting you hunger, and then by feeding you with manna, with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted, in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So God brings this manna. Manna literally means what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. It was the mystery food, but it was bread and it was meat. God brings them manna, instant provision in the wilderness. And notice the way he gives it. He doesn't just zap it into their stomachs. He both gives them the provision daily And insists on instructions of how to receive it. In other words, God wants them to think with their minds, not just with their stomachs. God God is interested in the nutrition of your body. God cares about the condition of your soul. The liberation to get them out of Egypt through the Red Sea was a gift. They were passive All they had to do was have a meal and God would rescue them. But now to participate in it, to receive it, they'd have to be active. They'd have to be intentional. God will provide the manna, but they have to go out and get it. And there are particular ways for them to do that. See, here's the point. The wilderness will come to you. To be a Christian does not mean that you seek out the difficult parts of life, and that's the more spiritual life. You live long enough and the wilderness will come to you. Some of you are in it right now. Some of you spend a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of money to pad yourself against the wilderness. But you live long enough and it will find you. That diagnosis that came as a surprise for you or for a loved one. That job that you thought was secure and now it's evaporated. That relationship that used to bring warmth and connection and now the distance itself is so heartbreaking. The wilderness will find you, and the wilderness is not neutral. It will either make you sweeter or more bitter. It will make you stronger or weaker. It will make you more connected or more cynical. It will make you more brittle or more buoyant. It's not neutral. It is critical that you, when walking through the wilderness, utilize it as a way to become more and more formed in the image and likeness of God. It's an opportunity. So let's, through that lens, look at this real quick just to see as God brings them through the wilderness and provides this food for the journey, this daily bread, this manna, in order to train us to trust him, to convince us to listen to him, and to send us to live in community, to trust him, to listen to him, to live in community. First, to train us to trust him. How much do you think about the word trust? The concept of being able to believe and live into the understanding that the people around you won't let you down. That you can count on them. That they are who they say they are. Patrick Lencioni, leadership guru, in his gold chip, blue chip um, book on leadership, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, talks about the five stages a team needs to go through in order to be effective and efficient and productive. But the first stage is trust. And he says, if your team doesn't trust each other, don't worry about steps two through five because you'll never get there. If you don't have trust, you can't move on to the next stage. You know this in your relationships. If you don't trust the person after a first date, guess what, there's not gonna be a second date. If your kids can't trust you to look out for their best interests, guess what? There's a lot of therapy in your future and theirs. If you don't have trust, you can't move forward from a place of stability and hope. So if you don't think you can trust God, you will run from God. You will hide from God. That's what, that was Adam and Eve in the garden in the very beginning. We can't trust that God would look out for us. And so they're running and they're hiding. And we've been running and hiding ever since. Some of you changed your geographic location and moved to a new city like San Diego so you can run and hide. Some of you ramp up your lives to go as fast as possible just to try to silence that voice from which you are running and hiding. But if you don't have trust, you can't move forward. And you see the lack of trust in this passage in verse 3 when they are in the wilderness and they begin to say the israelites said to them if only we died by the hand of the lord in the land of egypt when we were in slavery when we sat by flesh pots and ate our fill of bread for you've brought us out of the, into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger in other words it wasn't so bad back in egypt why did you have to take us out of there it wasn't so bad back in slavery we had food we had, we had um, meat, we had bread. They're forgetting they had whips, they had chains, they had slave masters, they had their kids separated from them. They were worked to exhaustion and none to death. They had forgotten all that part. In recovery circles, they call that euphoric recall, just remembering the good parts and forgetting all the bad parts. This is what happens when someone goes on a bender and wakes up in the morning on a drunken stupor just glad to be alive. And as the fog is clearing, they say, I will never do that again. And then a a time later, they just forget and go back out there again. Euphoric recall. This is what happens when you're in a relationship that is abusive or destructive in some way. And you rightfully make a boundary and say, I'm finished with that person. And then several seasons later, you get lonely and you go back to the person and say, it wasn't that bad, I'll give them another chance. Euphoric recall. The language of addiction. The language of delusion. Now get this, they are deluded and accusing God, you don't have our best interest at heart. And what does God do? In response to their doubt and their downright accusation, God does not obliterate them God does not abandon them. God actually accommodates them and feeds them. Do you realize in your questioning, in your confusion, even as you shake your fist at God and say, what are you doing? What is God doing in that moment? Feeding you, moving toward you, and accommodating you. So God's response to their lack of trust is, I will feed you. I will give you all that you need. Maybe they're realizing what I've heard so many of you say to me. You don't realize that God is all you need until you see that God is all you have. You don't realize God is all you need until you see that God is the only one that would never leave you or forsake you. Over the years of being a pastor, I've heard so many people walking through heartache and heartbreak say, in the midst of their suffering, I would rather have this suffering with God than everything I had before without him. When you can say that, there is nothing that can sink you. There is no threat that can injure you. There is no condition that can throw you off the tracks when you realize you can go through anything, any wilderness with this God. God is teaching them and us. You can trust him. You can trust him in the wilderness. You can trust him when you're hungry. You can trust him in the desert. You can trust him with your euphoric recall. You can trust him with your spiritual amnesia when you forget who God is and how God loves you. You can trust him even there to say, I have been here all along and I will never leave you or forsake you. It teaches us to trust him. But this food for the journey, this manna in the wilderness also teaches us to listen to him. Remember when Moses is later reflecting on this very scene in Deuteronomy 8, he says, he humbled you by letting you hunger then feeding you with manna in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, in our personal spiritual wilderness, the invitation is to turn God's word into living bread for your life. The Bible, the scripture, the word of the Lord must go from cognitive knowledge in your mind to food for your soul. How does that happen? You must chew it. You must digest it. You must meditate on it. You must be exposed to it. You work with it like a gardener tills the soil so the seed can go in and actually grow something beautiful. Are you that intentional about the way you interact with God's word through scripture? I'll give you an example. So Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, when he's talking to a bunch of people who are worrying, he doesn't just say, don't worry, have more faith, just believe. He says, don't worry. Consider the lilies of the field and the flowers of the valley. In all of their beauty, the kings of the earth are not clothed as beautiful as they are, and yet they do nothing for their survival. If God cares about lilies of the field that are here today and gone tomorrow, how much more does God care about you? Right? He says, think, reason, use your mind, meditate, work on these things. This is why we have community groups throughout the week, to work on these things more deeply. We think together as we apply this to our lives. You want to become good soil for the word of God to take root. I love this story that Philip Yancey tells in one of his books. He says, a rabbi taught that experiences of God cannot be planned or achieved. They're spontaneous moments of grace, almost accidental. So, one of his students asked, Rabbi, if God realization is just accidental, why do we work so hard in doing all of these spiritual practices? To which the rabbi replied, to make yourself as accident-prone as possible. Lent, these next, the rest of these 40 days before Easter is an opportunity for you to put yourself into new grooves, new patterns of making yourself as accident prone as possible. For God's grace to break in, to listen to him. What practices do you have in your life to listen to God? When Moses says that the manna represents every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, at that point Moses is talking about the scriptures of God, the Old Testament scriptures that they had at that time. And the New Testament makes sure to point out that Jesus Christ is the living word of God. In other words, it's a both and. The scriptures can reveal to you who God is. They could tell you about God. They tell you the story of the people of God stumbling and fumbling and getting it right and getting it wrong and you realize nobody on the face of God's green earth actually gets it right all the time except for Jesus. The Bible can tell you all about God but it's in Jesus that you see the character of God and who God is. And you want both. This is actually one of the reasons why Our process at Renew Church of discipleship, that process of becoming the person God's created you to be as you follow Jesus together, it is nothing less than intellectual, using our minds. We read the scriptures, we talk about them, we study them, but it's experiential. You go out into this world to meet Jesus in the poor, to meet Jesus in the hurting, and let them meet Jesus in you. Because if you only have data, I mean, if you only know about somebody, but you don't know them, let's take it even further. If you know all about somebody, you know all the data, all the figures, all their history, and you don't know them personally, there's a word for that. Stalker. And it's illegal. And it's weird. Jesus says, let the word of God lead you to me to relationship. You've learned about me, now meet me in person. Commit to me. Follow me. Say yes to me as I say yes to you every day. He invites us to listen, to trust him, to listen to him. And finally, he invites us to do this all in community together. I'll brag about my wife for a moment here. Florence is one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. And she, you know, she's got a teaching credential and childhood Um childhood development specialist background, and she leads the children's ministry of our church with excellence. I often joke that I think you guys just keep me around so you can have her around. I'm fine with that, I agree. And she has been substitute teaching in the public school system of San Diego. And particularly she focuses on under-resourced schools or children with particular difficulties. And so this week she was in, uh, actually in one of the schools that someone else in this church teaches in, which was awesome. For this school has very few resources, and it shows. And then after that, Florence went to a uh, classroom with children with special needs and helped there. She wants to put her greatest effort, energy, and expertise toward the greatest need in our city. And I'm looking at Matt, too, because I know you do that. I know many of you do that in many ways. She told me the greatest indicator of how that day is going to go is not the children, it's not the budget, it's not the zip code, it's not the ethnicity. The, one of the greatest indicators of how that day is going to go and the morale of that staff is how they operate together in community. Does that teacher have good support staff? Do they get along? Do they feel like they have each other's backs? Or do they feel like they're alone all the time? Great indicator. There are studies that have been done on animals and this is probably before PETA, and I'm not proud of these studies, but I read about them as I studied for the sermon, where they take animals and they put them in a cage and they subject them to all sorts of stress, loud noises, bright lights. They shake the cage. And then they have a control, a a different group of the same type of animal, same sort of stress in their life, except they have another one in the cage with them. They have a friend with them. And the blood pressure of the one who has the friend is half of the other one. You're designed to be connected. You're designed to be in community. You're designed to go through the wilderness not alone but with one another. That's part of the design. And that's part of the gift of the church. That's why I always say, if your choice is between not being here at all but being online, please come online. We want you to be connected. And if your choice is between being online and being in person, please come in person. Because you're designed to be as closely connected in a good community as possible. And it's here for you. But what do you do with it? It's interesting in verse 16, it says, take that manna back to the tents and distribute it to each person as needed. But it doesn't matter how big or how small a person is. They go out and they collect and then they bring it back and they make sure everybody has all that they need. So someone goes out and they're six foot four and they have huge hands. And someone goes out and they're four foot six and they don't have huge hands. But both of them gets to eat everything that they need. They distribute it to their community. There are people here where you're having a spiritual renewal and connecting to God. The light's coming on for you. You're discovering who you are You're discovering a new trajectory in your neighborhood, a new way of interacting and being, but you're keeping it to yourself. There are people here who are asking big questions about faith, about Christianity, about God. Can you believe these things? And you're holding it to yourself. There are people here who are mature in your faith, been walking with Jesus for a long time through the wilderness and you have gifts to give, but you're keeping it to yourself. And my friends, it will erode if you keep it to yourself. We all have something to give one another, all have something to receive from one another. Now I try to put an edge of challenge on that to give you some urgency. I have to put on another hat and say, I love the way that we're already doing it. I'm so encouraged to be a part of this community, but we're just scratching the surface as we share the deeper life together. I've heard in our community group and community groups I've led in the past, I've seen people visit other people in the hospital who are sick. I've heard people say, I'm struggling with this particular aspect of belief or faith, and instead of the group saying, I need to fix you because that's wrong, the group can say, oh, I've been there. I'll keep you company. A group there where, when you have something to celebrate or joy, you do it with others around you. Where we sacrificially pour ourselves out on behalf of our neighbors. In the economy, of God's kingdom is displayed as all are given as they have need. This gets amplified in the first church in Pentecost in Acts chapter two when it says they even sold their possessions and gave to all as they have need. We see this happening here as you pour yourself out through your particular career or in your particular neighborhood or your family. As you give generously and sacrificially to the work of this church as we pour ourselves out on behalf of our neighbors. There are people in this city who have access to housing or have access to therapeutic counseling that's saving their marriage or have access to food, have access to hope because you give to the work of this church, because you're involved in the life of this church and we're just getting started. But that's not not just a great idea we hatched here, that's us joining in that larger calling to be bread for the world, to be manna in the wilderness. And so I'll close with this. Ultimately, this passage teaches not only that God will meet you in the wilderness, but God will go through it with you, that God will go through it for you. Jesus, later on, would go out into the desert for 40 days, mirroring the 40 years that the people of Israel spent in the wilderness. He will be thirsty and hungry and tired and lonely and tempted And he will endure the desert on your behalf. He knows the struggle of your wilderness because he's been through it. And where Israel got it wrong, he gets it right. Where you and I fail, he is strong and he does it on your behalf and mine just as this manna was this mysterious gift from heaven to nourish everybody, Jesus would stand up in front of hungry people like you and me and say, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. I am the one who can satisfy the hunger underneath all of your other hungers in life. Come to me, you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. The divine invitation. See, don't go into the wilderness without the gospel. Jesus is the new Moses who leads us into the true promised land of knowing God, knowing one another, and knowing ourselves. Showing you that God is leading you, guiding you for your own good. So our invitation today, question is, where do you need this food for the journey right now? As you prepare to come to this table, come hungry and come thirsty. But then what does it look like for you to go out today and provide this food for the journey for others? Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray now that you would feed us, nourish us, fill us with yourself. Help us to get in touch with our true hunger, our deep longings, to identify them, to name them, to bring them to you. And we pray that you would fill them and satisfy them in a way that only you can. And as you do, would you send us out to this beautiful and broken world to bring true nourishment. We pray these things in your name. Amen.